extolling the virtues of forgiveness and reconciliation, here's Pastor Ed Ray. Of all the qualities that we humans can try and emulate of God's character, the most profound, the most godly is forgiveness and reconciliation. It is the gospel. It is the good news that we humans have been reconciled back to God. It's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your It's a great challenge not to become bitter and resentful when you or someone you love has been hurt. But you're most like the Lord when you're forgiving and restoring. Well, today's Grow in Grace will help us in this high and holy endeavor. Welcome. Today our teacher, Pastor Ed Ray, embarks on a small but powerful book of the Bible, Paul's letter to Philemon. And it's all about forgiveness and reconciliation. It's been called a gospel masterpiece and the letter that changed the history of the world. Here now to introduce it, Pastor Ed. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend, and fellow labor, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You, therefore, receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me, even your own self besides. Yes, brother. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. 
Epaphroditus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristocharis, Demon, Luke, my fellow laborer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. One evening, not long ago, at a very exclusive club in London, England, there was a group of members that were gathered for a birthday, and the birthday party was for one of the members who was there, and of course, and, and one man that had been in an argument with him for a number of years was standing off to the side, and one of the members went over to him. He said, you've got to talk to him. I mean, after all, it's his birthday. It's time to, to get things good. He said, Okay go wish him a happy birthday. He said, all right. And he walked over and he said, I wish you a happy birthday for one year. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> We're talking about reconciliation here. One more. There was a, a famous Spanish revolutionist in Spain called Narvaez. And Narvaez was a pretty bad guy. And as he lay dying, they called in a pastor to pray for him. And the pastor said his prayer. And then he asked him, he said, uh, have you forgiven all your enemies? And Maria stopped a moment, got a worried look on his face, and closed his eyes and thought. And he said, but pastor, I don't have any enemies. I've killed them all. <laughs> now, that's the way the world handles reconciliation, many people in the world. We are looking at probably the clearest New Testament letter about the subject. It is an important one. This is... Uh, Paul's 13th letter. Some of us believe that Paul wrote the next book, Hebrews, that we're coming to, but didn't sign it. But he's written at least 13 letters, and this is the shortest of them all. It's a, a, a prison letter written from Paul's incarceration. He was in chains, chained between Roman guards, and it's from that imprisonment, early church historians tell us that he was freed. So his asking that this man would pray for him worked, and God released him. And, but later, he would be arrested again, and then, of course, beheaded from the Mamertine prison. So someone called this letter of Paul to Thymene a gospel masterpiece. It is, in fact, a beautiful picture of two men that are struggling, and a third man, Paul the Apostle, working to reconcile them back together and to God. The setting is slavery. It was normal, if you can even use that word to describe it, in the first century. It was part of the Roman Empire and virtually every other country in the world at the time. The Romans uh, used normally uh, captured prisoners of war as the Roman Empire was expanding. Those of another country that they were taking over who survived the battle would be brought back and sold into slavery. Romans are estimated to have 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century, and it led to all kinds of slaves trying to gain their freedom by war. In fact, the most famous slavery uprising, if you will, was one led by a man named Spartacus. Now, you don't want to rely on the movie in Hollywood for your historic facts. It's like trying to understand the Old Testament by watching the Ten Commandments. But it is accurate in the sense there was a slave in 73 BC who actually led an uprising of 70,000 slaves against the Roman legions. He lost. 6,000 of them survived of the leaders, and they were crucified all along a 130-mile stretch of the Appian Way. 
So the Romans were a little touchy about slavery. That sets the background for this letter. There was the danger of another slave rebellion, so they were very strong against slaves who were running away. Onesimus, who was mentioned in this story, is a slave. We don't know his background. Besides, he was held by a Christian, that this Christian who had a Bible study in his home named Philemon, the title of this book, had uh, given great freedom to this man, and he ran. He ran all the way to Rome and ran into the arms of the Apostle Paul, which usually happens when we try and run from God. God has his ways of getting us to the right person at the right time with the right attitude of heart. And so this is the setting for this letter. Paul is careful to not condemn slavery. You say, well, he should have just been clear. No, it's all this backdrop of slave rebellions. But this little masterpiece, this jewel of the New Testament, was the spark that led to the downfall of slavery in the Roman Empire and eventually in the West. This is the, the understated letter that Paul is clearly speaking for Philemon to accept this man Onesimus back and release him, give him freedom. This is the letter that changed the history of the world. So Onesimus is in Rome because it's the biggest city, and this letter focuses on forgiveness and reconciliation. That's really uh, what this whole letter is about. The dictionary definition of reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations, an act of making one view or belief compatible with the other, the act of causing two people or two groups to become friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. Of all the qualities that we humans can try and emulate of God's character, the most profound, the most godly is the subject of forgiveness and reconciliation. It is the gospel. It is the good news that we humans have been reconciled back to God. It's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. Now, we saw last week when we were uh, studying the last part of Titus, we looked at Exodus 34, where God is describing himself. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives inequity, transgression, and sin. Those three qualities are added to the other 10 qualities, 13 qualities of God, so the Jewish rabbis say, of a merciful God. And the most important that's mentioned here for us this morning is forgiving iniquities, transgressions, and sins against us. God is saying, I am the God of forgiveness, that's who I am, and you need to be like me. You need to do the same thing that I do. Solomon said, Proverbs 1911, the discretion of a man or a woman makes them slow to anger, and his glory, his fullness, is to overlook a transgression. He's most like God when we overlook transgression. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, who's reminding us to forgive through this study of Philemon. It's a timely word for our culture today that's so quick to offend and be offended. We continue now with more encouragement to exhibit this godlike quality.
Overlooking the transgression is to look beyond the transgression. Paul wrote much about forgiveness and the need to reconcile with one another. Colossians 3.13, we are to bear with one another and forgive each other. Ephesians 4.30, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. 2 Corinthians 2.10, for I indeed have forgiven and everything I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Jesus had a similar message. Matthew 6.12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we find here these three individuals. It's a classic study of reconciliation, a man who needs to be reconciled, a man who has to reconcile him, and then a third man who is encouraging them both to get back together. You will find yourself as a Christian in one of those three situations, if not in all three of those individuals' positions in your life. You'll find yourself needing to help someone else reconcile two people or more. You will find yourself as the person that needs to be reconciled back, and you'll find yourself in that awkward situation of having to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. That's what reconciliation means. We were reconciled to God, and we did not deserve it. None of us in this room deserved salvation. We're stuck with grace. God gave us a gift, and that gift is Jesus dying on the cross in our place. The great exchange, as Bruce was just singing to us, God's life for mine, God's life for yours. What we should have done, died, God did for us so that we wouldn't have to, so we could spend eternity with him. For most of you, you understand this. We are looking at verse 1 through 14, someone needing reconciliation. That would be the slave in this case, of which we are all slaves to sin before Jesus rescues us. His name is Onesimus, someone needing to release him, to forgive him. And that's the person that this book was written to, Philemon. And then someone encouraging reconciliation, which, of course, is Paul the Apostle in 17 through 25. So let's jump in. We're going to go through it rather quickly because I want to get to the meat of it, which is the subject of forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Paul, we know, says here he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Maybe he had a slip in his memory. Maybe he had a senior moment. He says he's aged in just a few verses. Paul, you're a prisoner of the Roman government. Not in Paul's mind. Paul saw that everything in his life was filtered by God, that God has allowed him to be arrested. In fact, he sees it as a mission field. He's able to speak, to share the gospel with these Roman guards. Imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for a 12-hour shift. Yeah, I think he just wore them down and made all God saved. Timothy, our brother, this is, of course, Timothy, who uh, the first letter we looked at in the second one, we believe this letter is positioned halfway in between the two of them, that Paul wrote the first letter to Timothy, uh, and then Timothy is still with Paul now in Rome, and he's writing to Philemon. Philemon, our beloved, we love you, Philemon, is what he's saying. You are a friend. And our fellow laborer, as we work our way through this, we'll see that there is, in fact, a relationship with Paul and this man, probably because Philemon's home 
was a house church, verse 2. To the beloved Aphia, Greek word that is in the feminine gender, so that's probably his wife, although we're not told that. Archippus, male, our fellow soldier, probably his son, and to the church in your house. So early churches, of course, in the first century were often house churches, what we might call today a home Bible study. And so Paul is familiar with all the people in his home. Uh, The church didn't have buildings, of course, this early. And in the simplest form, church is not the building. It's in fact us, people, two or more. That's what Jesus said. When two or more of you have gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of you. So they're gathered in this man's house. Verse 3, grace to you, charis, Greek word for gift. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been here more than twice, you've probably heard me stop, pause on the word grace. To me, it's my favorite word after salvation, and the two are connected. It was a common Greek greeting, two Greeks walking down the road. In fact, it still happens today in Greece. And they'll say to each other, charis, they pronounce it, or charis, as we might say it. And then the other person says that same thing back to them. And it means a good gift. May good things come into your life today. It's actually a prayer that God would grant to the other person a day filled with gifts from him. We all have gifts from him. You're here this morning. Are you thankful for those gifts? That's the point of the word charis. It's a gift unearned, unmerited, that no one deserves. But God gives freely to all who will receive it. Beautiful word. Charis. Peace. If you were in Israel, walking down the street, you'd see a Jew coming towards you and you'd say shalom, which is the Hebrew word, the Hebrew greeting. And they would say back to you shalom. And if they want to double it, they say shalom, shalom. And then if you really want to be friendly, you triple it. Shalom, shalom, shalom. And it goes on for half an hour as you (laughs) wish peace to each other. The word means health, wholeness, completeness, balance, harmony. It means back to the garden, literally. Back to the Garden of Eden when everything was good. May you have a day like you're living in the Garden of Eden. So two beautiful prayers Paul starts his letter with. We're familiar with this because we see this in every letter that he writes. Verse 4, I thank my God, I am thankful, and I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul was a man of prayer. You want power with God? You got to pray. You got to spend time before him. He wants us to have fellowship with him, and that's called prayer. Not always just requests. We quiet ourselves before the creator of the universe. You can be doing that right now in this place. You can do it anywhere. That's what Paul was saying he was doing. I often throw up prayers during the middle of a message. I just did. You didn't hear it. God did. God help me. (laughs) I got some tough stuff to share with you this morning. And it's tough because I'm not good at it. I don't mean speaking. I'm not good at that either. But I mean not good at doing what I'm teaching. And that's not a very comfortable place. So I'm saying things to you that pierce you, and then it comes back and hits me. I can't pull that off. I thank my God making mention of you. I pray for you. Interceding. Verse 3 of Colossians 1. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Paul seemed to spend an awful lot of time praying. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Night and day, praying exceedingly to see your face and to perfect the things lacking in you. I want to see you. Paul 
is a man of prayer, and he has power with God. God uses him to change literally thousands of people's lives and to change the course of history. You want power with God? Well, then pray. Spend time before him. Verse 5, hearing of your love. Paul said, I heard about your love clear here in Rome, a thousand miles away. I hear of your love and your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. You are a saint. For some of us, that's hard to accept (laughs) because we are also sinners because we fail. Unless you're the only person that didn't sin this week in thought or I won't ask for a show of hands because then you'll be embarrassed when your wife reminds you (laughs) of that whatever. Okay, so you are a saint in the sense of you received the gift of grace from God that you and I didn't deserve, but he gave us salvation when we surrendered our life to him. If you have not done that, don't leave this morning until you do. We've heard that you love Jesus and all of God's people. Verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. This is not a great translation of this verse. This is the New King James. The sharing of your faith may become effective. It actually is the word the fellowship, koinonia. So let me read it to you, the New American Standard. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Okay. Fellowship, koinonia, is an important word. It means an active relationship with another person that's personal and somewhat intimate. A communion it's used to describe. Paul is not saying because you're actively witnessing, you'll become more effective. That's not what it means. The NIV basically says that and gets it wrong also. He's saying something like this. I'm praying that as you fellowship with each other, as you share koinonia with other believers, the result is going to be an understanding of every good thing we have in Jesus Christ. So what he's setting up is that you and I need to have fellowship with other believers, that you talk about the things that God has done in your life this week. And when you do, the other person hears it, and it causes them to think about what God was saying to them or doing, or maybe last week or last month. That kind of discussion is the thing that strengthens us and helps us to understand acknowledge every good thing which God has given us. Again, God gives us gifts. We live in the most blessed country in the world. We come here freely, and we get out of our cars and come in an air-conditioned building and, and talk about God freely. Not so in many places on the earth. So we live as a blessed people that way, that you're able to choose to come. Whether you want to or not, you can go do something else. Go buy a taco, you know? But you've chosen the higher thing. You want to hear. Maybe you're not a believer yet, but you're because you desire to find out if there's anything here. You know, I heard this guy is a little different than most pastors. He's not really a pastor type. He's actually a scientist. And so he doesn't talk like a pastor. He doesn't use any these and thous and doesn't speak in 15th century English and that sort of thing. We're glad you're here. This is a church open to anyone. What? Anyone. The worst sinner is welcome here. A candid admission and invitation Pastor Ed Ray has given, and we'd like to extend it to you. 
one sinner who found the grace of God to another. May you receive the grace of God and then grow in grace. Today on Grow in Grace, we've been in the book of Philemon. You can hear it again online at thepackinghouse.org or on Apple Podcast. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. We invite you to join us next time for more of this wonderful letter of Philemon that encourages us down the road of forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's right here on Grow in Grace, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Side hall now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick deal and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love